You know, awesome worship. I think every song, man, I'm just like digging what is being sung, what I'm worshiping at and stuff. And, you know, this morning, ah, man, just uh, I don't know what you're going through, but people are going through stuff. And many of you guys are sitting here and you will never tell me what's going on in your life. Um, But I know that people, you know, we, we, we come to church and there's we're heavy hearted. You know, and, and oftentimes you come in with a heavy heart and it's hard to listen to the message because it's like your mind is just going and going. And my, my, my heart is, I just want to just quiet our hearts this morning. I don't know what you're going through, but I know that there's people in our fellowship that are battling life all the way through. And, um, and so I just want to take a, just a moment that you could just... Um, Whatever you're going through, whatever's on your heart, whatever you're burdened with, that right now you would be able to just lay it at his feet. And all these songs that we just sung, that we would realize, man, the words that we were singing, it's like, yes, Lord, yes, 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 amen. That they would just come to fruition in our hearts so that we can listen to the word, to the message, and that God would just be glorified. So let's just quiet our hearts. You pray for you. When you think you're ready, pray for me, and then we'll go on. Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Let's make our way over to the book of Jude this morning. We will be covering just one verse this morning, and that is verse 11. <clears throat> we have at least, in my estimation, about four more studies in this book of Jude that I have just fallen in love with, becoming one of my favorite <laughs> books. Man. <laughs> man oh man it's it's just packed with stuff you know and as I'm going through it I'm just like man I love Jude Um, but Jude Jude has been careful to show his readers not just back then but us today what to be on the lookout for when it comes to those who have crept in unnoticed Because even though they had slipped in under the radar, their actions, their their conduct couldn't help but be made manifest. Because it's only a matter of time before those who who have crept in unnoticed, who, who have a different agenda on their hearts, it's just a matter of time that their instincts take over. Because of what they're here for, whether it's to deceive or to draw people away or whatever the case may be, that we've been looking at these who have crept in unnoticed, their instincts begin to take over and their fruit becomes to come to fruition in that sense. You see, wolves in sheep's clothing 
can only hide their paws in their fangs for so long. Only for a short time, because they really can't help themselves very long, because they're predators. They, they, they might be able to sneak in, they might be able to blend in for a little, but once they get hungry, once they, once they become thirsty, their true colors come out and their real agenda begins to play itself out because they really can't help themselves because they've come in already with an agenda. And I, and I often think like, okay, if somebody comes in, sneaking in thinking, you know, I'm just going to wreak some havoc here. I'm just going to pull some people away. I'm just going to draw people unto myself. I'm wondering if how many people have actually tried to come into a church, this church or another church, and as they sat there, the Holy Spirit of God just convicts their hearts and they change. It's like that, that is awesome. But oftentimes, because they come in already hard-hearted or they come in just already thinking, no, I'm not here for the hallelujahs, I'll say that and I'll do that but I'm really here to deceive and to pull people away from who God truly is. And so anyways, it doesn't take long for them because they can't help themselves. So Jude has been giving us examples of how these apostates, whom he also called dreamers last week, how they show their true colors. And that is by unbelief, rebellion, and immorality. And they can't help themselves. <laughs> They're stuck in those three little things, you know, of unbelief, rebellion, and immorality. Now, he did give us examples of groups that are caught up in, in, in these kinds of things, like the children of Israel. When they came out of Egypt, after a while, they, there was unbelief that God wouldn't see them through. We, we, we see the rebellion of the angels who fell from heaven, who were in the very presence of glory, and even then, somebody got in and deceived them. Somebody from within, the enemy himself. And we saw how even in Sodom and Gomorrah and the immorality that was happening in their lives, that even though they got rescued from the wars that they were involved in, they went right back to their lifestyle. You see, these dreamers that, that he is talking about in Jude, they couldn't help themselves. Because all of it ended up revolving around them. To please them. But they themselves are the ones that have brought judgment upon themselves. And this morning, Jude will now give us examples of individuals who couldn't help themselves because it was all about them. 
and how they could please themselves. But they only have themselves to blame for the judgment that would fall upon them. And so Jude, verse 1, says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, beloved. While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards uh, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example of suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when, it, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against them a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, run, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Woe to them. (laughs) That is a harsh statement as he's talking about these people who have crept in, who have a different agenda, who have slid under the radar, so to speak. He says, woe to them. And the word woe is a primary exclamation of grief. It is a state of intense hardship, and distress. In other words, there's words like sorrow, misery, heavy calamity that are associated with that word woe. It is used as a curse. With the inference of it being too late. Woe. The term is used frequently by the prophets in the Old Testament, in the OT, where 
where it was used for judgment against cities, against nations, against erring uh, spiritual leaders who had gone a different direction, for, for classes of people who had forsaken God, who had forsaken His law. Woe. <laughs> Woe to you. Woe to them. It was pronounced upon them. And it was sometimes a, a, a cry from an individual expressing his own grief or despair. Woe unto me type stuff, you know, because of what they were going through. And yet, when we get into the New Testament, Jesus pronounces a woes or some woes on two cities in particular, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Bethsaida. In, in Matthew 20, uh, 11, where, where he, he says, Woe to you, because if the works had been done in other places, they would have repented, but you have not. If all these works that I have done in your city had been done in Tyre and in uh, Syria, man, those people would have been bowing down, but you haven't. Woe to you. I won't be able to do the works there anymore. Woe to you. And then Jesus also pronounces woes on the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers when he comes against them because of their religiosity, because they thought that they had it made and they looked so good on the outside, but inside they were a dead man's bones. It's like, woe to you, because outwardly you think you're doing good, inwardly you're dead. You're putting on this front that looks religious, but you're not. Woe to you. And he even proclaimed a woe to the one that would betray him in the garden. Before they even get to the garden, as they're in the upper room, he says, woe unto the man who like turns, his, tur- turns against the Son of Man. It would have been better if that cat would never have been even born. He might have not used the word cat, but if he would not have been born. It would have been better for that guy. Woe to him. And so now Jude pronounces a woe to them, to those who have crept in unnoticed, to those who were not afraid to defile the flesh, to reject authority, and to speak evil of dignitaries. He says, woe to them. (laughs) Woe. Jude had referred to to them as dreamers. And what these dreamers could never imagine in their little dream world was the judgment that they were bringing upon themselves. Mostly because they seemed to be getting away with it. Nothing's really happening to us. We know we're not doing what's right. We know that we have snuck in and nobody's really noticed us. And even those who were drawing away, they're kind of like cocking their head like, are we supposed to be doing that? (laughs) But nobody's telling on us and nobody's really coming against us. They seem to be getting away with it. And that is often the case because God doesn't always judge right away. And so people feel that God is not interested in what they're doing 
that he's not really worried about it or that he just doesn't care because he has other things to deal with. So we're getting away with certain things and yet there is a woe that is pronounced to them. It's like, no, there's still a woe unto you. It might, just, it might not happen right away, but there is a woe if you don't repent. <laughs> now, now a woe... <laughs> Is, is, is not just something that God throws away or throws around willy-nilly, man. <laughs> he just doesn't go around, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, not like we would, like, hey, whoa. Um, but a whoa, like, dude, you're in trouble. He just doesn't throw that around because when he does throw that out, it's going to be severe. And so it's not something that he just like, hey, let's just use this word. No, it, it is an action word on the part of God that when he pronounces a woe or he has one of his, his writers that in, in the word of God pronounce a woe, it's like, it's not going to end up good. You're in big heap trouble. You see, God is so gracious and so merciful. God always gives time to escape a woe <laughs> because it is severe. And even in the examples that we are going to look at, God always gave them an, uh, an opportunity to repent, to turn from the woe that was coming. And if they didn't, woe unto you. And in talking to the apostates, Jude gives us three examples, three individual examples. And in each one of these examples, they had every chance to escape their woe, their calamity, their judgment. But instead, they just went headlong. They just decided to keep going with the way they wanted to go in defiling the flesh and rejecting authority and in speaking evil of dignitaries. The first such individual that we look at is Cain. And if you will, turn over to, Ju or to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to do some reading in other places just so we can get a fuller picture of what's happening. But I want to read to you what it means to go the way of Cain, beginning in verse 3 of chapter 4 of Genesis, we'll go through 3 to 13. He says, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel's Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, you will, not be, uh, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, or yeah, 
now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. When the Lord, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. It's interesting because he uses the word curse in verse 11 and punishment in verse 13. And both of them have to do with a woe. (laughs) But what we see here, and I know the question could be asked, why didn't God accept both offerings, both sacrifices? Because at first glance, we see that both of them brought a sacrifice. But what we need to understand, and I believe that Cain understood this, is that there is a righteous requirement that God requires. And I don't believe that this was Cain's first rodeo here when it came to offering sacrifices. I believe he knew what God required of him. But he decided to bring his own fruits. Not what was required, blood, but he came with what he had done. His self-righteousness. He finally said, well, this is good enough, isn't it? What I have produced is good enough. And so he begins to, to do things his own way. And thinking, well, God, surely... You will accept this. Cain brought the first fruits of his own hands, his own righteousness, whereas Abel brought the required, uh, the, the righteous requirement that God required. To, to go the, the way of Cain means that you end up doing your own thing. You, 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 big, you, you begin to do what seems right in your eyes. You, you make up your own rules. That's what Cain was doing and that's what people do. See, God requires certain things from His Word because He's already said certain things from His Word and yet there's people that say, but I don't really agree with that, but surely God will accept what I do bring. And that's where his mind was at. And when he brought what he thought was, was good enough, when he thought, well, I've produced this. You've given me the ability to produce this. I think this is good enough. He ends up getting mad at God because God was not happy with what he brought. We end up getting bummed out because God doesn't bless what we feel he should bless. Because after all, I did my best. 
It's like it, it doesn't matter whatever your best is. What does God require? What does his word say? That's what he says. That's what we do. And Abel did exactly what God had required of him. And the way of Cain was, well, I'm going to do it my way. God should be happy with that, that I even brought him a sacrifice, right? And so we end up getting mad at God because he hasn't blessed what we thought he should bless. Now, even with what Cain did with the sacrifice, God was gracious enough to give him the opportunity to make it right. He gave him the opportunity to repent when he says, hey, why are you bummed out, bro? Why are you so mad right now? Why has your countenance fallen? When when, when he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Like, get this right, bro. Bring the offering that I have required. And if you bring what I have required, you will do well. Cain doesn't go by that. He decides, no, what I brought you is good enough. And in that, he sinned. Going the way of Cain means that that you would rather succumb, give way to sin, make a way for sin, that it may rule over you, instead of you ruling over it. Like he says here, If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But you shall rule over it. He gave him the the ability to repent, to understand, I could win this. And he said, sin is at the door. He didn't say, it's inside the room with the doors closed and the windows locked and everything. And there's no getting away from it. It's at the door. You can, you can shut the door and keep sin out. Or you can just leave the door open and let sin come in and rule over you. But I've given you the ability. God's graciousness was there even with Cain to say, close the door, repent. Make it right. But he didn't do that. And going the way of, of, of Cain means that you end up letting sin rule your life. Instead of you being able to rule sin. Going the way of Cain also leads to self-righteousness, self-promotion. You become more important than others. It's all about you and not everybody else. And the focus becomes all about you. See, that's, that's, that's what it means to go the way of Cain. It is all self-righteousness. You bring your own righteousness, thinking you're good enough. And what happens here, when when we go the way of Cain, we end up hurting others. We end up killing relationships in the process. Because you want to satisfy you. You want what is good for you. And in that, like he did, killed his brother. (laughs) He hurt his family because it was all about him. It was all about his self-righteousness, what he thought was right in his own eyes. Because he couldn't stand other people being better than he was. He couldn't stand other people being promoted 
above himself. And you see, envy always eats at you. (laughs) And it destroys others. It always does. The, the, The way of Cain will always bring about a woe, a curse, or punishment, as God told him. So now you are cursed from the earth. And he says, man, this punishment is way too big for me to handle. But you had the opportunity, bro. You had the opportunity to repent, but you decided not to. Because you see, there is a righteous requirement with God. And it is always about His way, not our own way. Because our own way looks very much like the way of Cain (laughs) all the time. Like Cain, these dreamers, these apostates, rejected the blood of Christ for atonement and redemption for their own self-righteous offerings that would benefit them. And it kind of all boils down to with Cain and this situation. It all kind of boils down to religion versus relationship. When it comes to the way of Cain. Outwardly you may look good, but inwardly you're evil. (laughs) Going back to Jude where he says, Having run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. The next individual that Jude uses is an example, is the example of Balaam. Balaam was a prophet of God who sought God for direction and God gave him direction. But when it came to the money or greed, even though he said that money wasn't important, Or didn't matter. It persuaded him to forsake what he knew that was right. And this story takes place in Numbers 20, chapter 21 to chapter 25. We're not going to read it all. But if you know the story, somewhat of the story, you know that Balaam was a hireling, a hireling prophet who marketed his gift. Which is, known, which is known as the way of Balaam. And he also loved the wages of unrighteousness, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2.15. Knowing what God had told him, as he went and sought direction, he still pursued his self-gain. You see, there was... There was a, 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 a king, Balak, who saw the children of Israel from afar and saw that there were so many. And he thought, I got to get rid of these guys. So he hires Balaam and says, okay. Well, he sends people and said, come over and curse these people. And Balak sends the people back saying, even if he gives me all the money that he has, I can't do that. And so when they come and they bring more money, because he had already went and asked God, hey, what do you think about this? He says, you're not going to do anything to my people. So when they come back with more money, he goes back to God (laughs) 
to pray about it again in the hopes that God would change his mind. <laughs> how, how often have we done that? God already reveals to us, no, I don't want you to do that, or yes, I want you to do this, and you're going, oh. And you're not too happy about the outcome that God kind of gives you, so it's like, well, a week later, you come back, it's like, okay, Lord, here I am. <laughs> Very somber. I want your will. There's more money on the line here, you know that. Right? You understand my situation down here and what the opportunity that's in front of me here. I mean, how, we, we, we all do that. After God has said no, we're going, well, maybe perhaps He's changed His mind. <laughs> and in this instance, God gives Him permission and gave Him what He wanted. Now, if you know the story or part of the story, you know that he's, he thought, okay, go, but you're not going to curse my people. I told you not to, but if you want to go, go. And as he's going, he's on his donkey, and even his donkey is trying to save his life, trying to protect him like any good donkey would. And after the third time, or after he, he, he kind of rubs him up against the rock, he begins to hit his donkey like he's stupid donkey. It's like, who's the donkey here, man? To where the donkey ends up talking to him and telling him, dude, what's up? What's up with this? I'm trying to protect you. There's an angel in front of you that you can't even see because money and greed has blinded you and the spiritual things in front of you cannot see. And here's where it's kind of funny in this story that Balaam got into an argument with his donkey. In his error as a dreamer, <laughs> He didn't even realize that talk, donkeys don't normally talk. But he is so blinded. He is in such error of what he is wanting to go do that he ends up fighting with the donkey. And this phrase, run greedily in, means to give oneself completely to some type or sort of behavior to give oneself to or to devote yourself to. In other words, they, these dreamers, had given themselves completely to the kind of deception that Balaam practiced for the sake of money. And they thought that God should be cool with that. Not only was Balaam in error in that he prostituted his gift for money, but he was also in error in thinking that God would curse his own people. That he would bring a woe against his people. After allowing Balaam to bless them, he thought, well, I'll go out there. You told me not to curse them, but to bless them, but the money is really good. But I'll go out there. And if you know the story, every time he tried to curse them, a blessing came out instead. And so his final error was that, and, and this is what's called the doctrine of Balaam, and it's in reference to Revelation 2.14, he ends up teaching Balak 
how he can get to the children of Israel and how he can bring them down through sexual immorality. Hey, send your women over there. Those guys like women. Any women. Just send them over there. And you will bring them to their knees. And sure enough. And so these dreamers were in error of all the errors of Balaam. And everything that had to do with Balaam, they, 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 they just jumped right in as well. They thought that they could profit off the church. And not only for money, but also for fame and popularity. They thought that they would be able to profit or gain by causing the church to compromise, to lower their standards somewhat, to win them over. And perhaps making a name for themselves, corrupting themselves at the same time corrupting the church that they had come into. Thinking, oh, they'll accept anything. Hey, we're living in new times, so everything goes, right? No. See, they were in error thinking that, yeah, every church should go that way. But their biggest error was in thinking that they could get away with this. That God really wouldn't punish them. Because nothing really has happened up to this point. And so it's business as usual. Because they really didn't feel the effects of any kind of judgment or woe upon them. But it would come upon them eventually. You see, they would end up perishing like the next individual that we look at that Jude mentions, and that is Korah. And if you will, turn to Numbers chapter 16, and we're going to do some reading here. So be patient, but not everybody is familiar with Korah's story here. And I wanted to read to you um, all this chapter, but now as I'm looking at the clock, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I shouldn't. You need to read number 16. But I will explain. No, I will sum up chapter 16. This guy Korah, along with, with Dathan and Abiram, they came and they decided, Hey, Moses, you take too much responsibility here you think you're all it you think that you're a prince over us you and Aaron man you guys are like Mr. Holy and Mr. Holy you know it's like you guys get to do everything you guys get to go and talk to God and stuff like that we can do the same thing and it's kind of interesting because here they they think no we need to be in that position I know we haven't been called to that position, but we should be able to do that. You're not the only one, Moses and Aaron. And so Moses said, okay, cuz, because it was his first cousin. Okay, tomorrow let's, let's meet up in, the, in front of God and see who God picks. And so here, here, you take some incense, we'll take some incense, or, or, and, and, and we'll come and see who God chooses. But I will read this part right here. As the next day, as they say, okay, here, we're going to meet today. And so Moses, and let's just say in verse 28, 
It says, and Moses say, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do these works. For I have not done them in my own will. If any man dies naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and opens up the mouth, opens up its mouth, okay, and the earth opens up or opens its mouth and swallows them up with all the belonging that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now as, now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their, with their household and all the men of Korah with all their goods. So they and all those who with them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed over them. And they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Whoa. Whoa. If you know the story, <laughs> and I like the way Moses says, hey, if everybody dies naturally, then God didn't call me. But let's just say God does a new thing. <laughs> if the earth opens up, it's like, how often does that happen? If the earth opens up and swallows everything that belongs to them, them, their wives, their kids, their tent, their car, their chariot, their what you know, everything that belongs to them, then we know who God is called. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, man, you're you're like, okay, God, do something big. Sure enough, it happens just like he says. I mean, even if it wasn't a woe to us, we would be saying, Whoa, that is crazy. But you see, they perished just the way. Moses said. The word rebellion that Jude uses comes from the word gainsayers, as the King James uses it. And it means dispute, contradict, disobedience, defiance. And it literally means to be in such opposition that you are willing to act on it to get your own way at all costs, regardless of what any and all authority says. They were willing to defy what God had said. And so Korah and his bunch met their doom. And these dreamers back in Jude, these apostates, had such lofty, haughty, arrogant, and self-important goals that they were not afraid to do whatever they had to do to achieve those goals. Even if, they, if that meant 
turning everybody against the leaders of the church. But you see, God doesn't take those things lightly. You see, they were putting themselves and others that got caught up with them in danger. And we saw that the 250 who decided, hey, we're on those guys' side. Bam, they all perished. Either as they went down and their cries, can you imagine hearing the cry as they're falling into, ah, whoa. And then the earth just kind of, what? <laughs> I'm sure Aaron just dropped his staff and said, what? Anybody else? <laughs> Anybody else? No. You see, God doesn't take those things lightly. You see, the ultimate goal of an apostate is to be in charge. It would be beneath him to humble himself for the sake of others. They're not willing to go through all the work that it takes or, or for someone who is called to kind of work their way in, into that position. They'd rather take over somebody else's work but they don't want to do the work themselves. The woe that they will face is the same woe that Korah and his friends received, and they will perish. They will be utterly destroyed. Destroyed to the full. Abolished. <laughs> ruined. When, when, when Jude pronounces woe to them, it is no joke. <laughs> it is not a laughing matter. When there's a woe that comes from God, because it involves judgment. It involves calamity. And I know that we are living in the age of grace. And as long as we have breath, we have the, op the opportunity and the ability to repent. And God can and will forgive us. But I don't want to be anywhere close to tempting God to have a woe pronounced upon me or anybody else. It's a dangerous place to be. Knowing what these examples that we have looked at before us, knowing anything about these guys, Cain and Balaam and Korah, why would anybody want to, or desire to be like them? And I know that someone would be thinking, I don't want to be like them. But I'll put it this way. Anytime we want to do our own thing, think that nothing should happen to us, or go against authority, not just authority, like we look at God's authority, what His Word says, then we are acting just like Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Same thing. God gave them all time to repent and to make things right. But pride and arrogance and self-will got in the way and they paid the price. Guys, Jesus has paid the price for us. He has already paid the price for us. But we need to humble ourselves and we need to repent. Which means that we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. And that goes for Christians and non-Christians alike. Amen? Let's stand as we close in prayer.
Jesus, once again, we thank you and we look to you, Lord God, for your goodness and your grace that you have given and you have bestowed upon us, Lord God, from your word. Lord, again, giving us the examples time and time again throughout your word of those who, who were rebellious, who had unbelief, Lord, who were in sexual immorality. Lord, you, you, you've given us those kinds of examples to repent from. And I know that even within the Christian community, we can get involved and caught up in those kinds of sins. And I pray that, God, as we have breath within us right now, that there would be repentance. That, Lord, if we have even dabbled in getting close to a Cain or a Balaam or a, or a Korah, that we would repent this morning. That we would look to you for forgiveness, Lord. And that we would look to turn and get things right with you, Lord. Not with us here, but with you. Lord, your word is clear on what is sin. Most of us, if not all of us, know exactly what that is, Lord. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that, God, you would truly let your spirit fall upon us, that your spirit would convict us, and that we would repent, Lord, truly repent and turn from our sin. And I pray for those who may be here this morning who don't know Jesus, who have never understood what it means to turn, to repent, and walk with Jesus. And I want to give you that opportunity this morning. And, and I know people might say, man, you say that every week. And it's, you know, it's like, really? It's like, yeah, I don't, want to, I don't want to miss it. If you're here this morning, and some of you are already Christians, you're already in. You don't have to like say, here am I again. But you need to repent. Amen. Do that. But I'm talking to the non-believer right now. And you know that. That today you will turn because God has given you another chance about this woe unto you. That if you do not repent, you will face judgment. And so I'm not here to scare you, but I'm here to scare you. To say, turn from your ways. Is there anybody this morning that would say, please pray for me. I need to repent. I need to turn from my sin bless you. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that God, you have called people to repentance. Father, if there's anybody still who, who understands that they have not gotten it right with you, that they would right now, Lord. Right there where they're, they're standing, Lord God, speak to them. Call them out, Lord. And we bless your holy name. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, there's going to